0: Stand by for a start. Field is, is
1: locked is away and ready. Flight. And, ready. and they're off. He pressed the button and away they went. And welcome to Hoof on the Till, ABC News Radio's weekly look at all things racing. Helen Thomas and the mighty Max Preston are with you. And Max, one of our favourite weekends coming up, Strati Day up in Brisbane.
2: Yes, Helen, at a time when New South Wales promises to splurge millions like have never been seen before on racing in the spring. But one thing that Brisbane has at this time of the year is the Stradbroke. And the Stradbroke has tradition. And what's tradition? Helen, tradition is memories, memories of great horses, great rides. This is a special day. It's always a special day. I know you like to say favourite days, but it just regurgitates memories, which prompts recollections of a great horse, Gunsin, the Windy Grey. He, he was not only a sprinter, he was just an all-round top-class racehorse, effective at a mile and two miles they don't make them like that today.
1: No, but we're getting pretty close because there's a very, very popular grey horse going around in the Group 2 Brisbane Cup and he has connections, Max, to Gunsint.
2: No doubt about that, but we'll examine the Candyman later in the show. But, Helen, we should start on the big influx of prize money to Sydney racing and provincial courses in the spring.
1: And I'm interested, Max, do you think it's going to reshape spring in Australian racing?
2: Yes. Is it going to reshape the spring as I would like it question mark because again my traditional foundations which Melbourne is the spring and the Melbourne Cup and the Cox Plate and Caulfield Guineas those sorts of days are special there is no doubt and it's Peter Volandis who is the the pile driver the playmaker in this move wants to compete with Melbourne Now, I'm greedy. I want to enjoy all the best racing that Australia has to offer. Is this going to split it? Is this going to make Sydney one thing, clashing with the Melbourne greats another? Well, look, that aspect I don't like about it, but nevertheless, we've got to see how it plays out. It's a step. It's a step forward. Whether it's going to benefit Australian racing overall, question mark. I think it probably will.
1: Well, let's see what one of Victoria's leading trainers has to say about it. Danny O'Brien is joining us now on Hoof on the Till. Danny, good to have you on the show.
2: No, it's good to be back. Obviously, Danny, you're getting back into the, the swing of the big time after that that nasty word, Cobalt.
3: Yes, it was it was quite a saga, Max, but I'm very pleased uh, to have some clean air and, and some promising young horses in the stable.
2: How much did that set you back, Danny? And I'm talking about time and money.
3: Well, it, it just dragged out over such a long period of time, from from late 2014 to you know we got the uh vindication from VCAT in in March 2017, and, and even then the Racing Victoria appealed, which took it another six months. So effectively, three plus years we, we were you know out of play as a, as a realistic option for for major owners, and and obviously that has a flow on effect that you just don't have the quality of horses. In the stable that you're used to. Again, it takes time, two or three seasons at the yearling sales to to get a nice group of two-year-olds, and obviously they become next season's three-year-olds, and uh, we're just starting to see the green shoots now. We've got a, got a promising group of, of young horses that are all coming through.
2: New South Wales racing is booming. It's probably going as well now as it's ever gone. A big injection of, of prize money coming up for the spring carnival. How do you read this?
3: Oh, look, it's incredibly exciting. I think any participant, Australian participant particularly, uh, has to be very pleased with what New South Wales has done the last sort of five years particularly. They've gone out there and made sure that the money that's being generated by the sport is being distributed to the people who are putting on the show. And, uh, and you know, I think they've been very strategic to the way they've done it with their major races. And, and those races look like being uh, over the next 10 or 20 years that some of the most important ones that will be run in the country
2: I'm glad you said over the next 10 or 20 years regarding the Everest, now the Everest is a great promotion, it has been a success but it, it hasn't got the tradition of the major Melbourne spring events but uh, are you in, stimulated by the, the Everest and, and also the all-star mile at Flemington, this concept, this move into the future?
3: Yeah, I think you know tradition as you say you can't buy it but uh, you can certainly develop it and the fundamentals for for those races are there, particularly you know the distances and and the timing of them. The tradition, obviously, in the spring down here of the Caulfield and Melbourne Cup, and, and to a lesser extent the Cox Plate, has gone in a different direction over the last decade with the internalisation of both those races. And, and as I said, the Cox Plate, obviously, been battle even when second year last year. Uh, so they're different races to what they were. Uh, they're not quite as relevant to to the Australian participants. Um, Whereas races like the Everest and and the Golden Eagle are going to be fully frank with with big fields of of horses that are owned, trained and and obviously ridden by Australian people.
1: And Danny, the not very quiet elephant in the room is... Basically just that fact, the the Melbourne Cup, the Caulfield Cup, and even to an extent now the Cox Plate. The focus this week has been on these this new injection of prize money into Sydney spring, the Golden Eagle, which is being run on the same day as the Victoria Derby, the Everest, which Max has already mentioned. I wonder, as a trainer, does that concern you? Is that really a truly national approach to racing, to programming major races, Group 1 races? Uh,
3: no, look, I, I don't see any issue with it. There's really those... Two races are filling a gap in the program that uh, has not been filled by the spring in Melbourne. There hasn't been a big money race for four-year-olds in Melbourne you know, at that sort of fifteen hundred metre distance, you know, ever really. The, the Turak handicap and, and to a lesser extent, the mile at Flemington have sort of been there for a long time, but there's been no significant money put into them. The Turak handicap, I think, is.
1: you feel pushed and pulled, though, as to where you go? Uh, and I wonder, too, will not just the trainers, but also the jockeys feel like they're being stretched between two cities?
3: No, I think. look, I think that's a very minor factor. Uh, you know, if, if, if you've got a $7.5 million race, you're not going to be feeling too pushed and pulled if you've got one of the major chances. Um, and there's enough talent in the jockeys' pools to, to go around. I don't think when we've had the Everest and the Caulfield Guineas on the same day that, that anyone's felt that they've uh, had their chances compromised by not being able to get a, a successful or competent jockey involved.
2: Danny, you, you touched on a, a subject there about the internationalisation of Australian racing. Is this a good or a bad thing for the industry in Australia?
3: Look, I, I think it's it's overall a, a good thing. Um, you, know, you you couldn't argue that the Melbourne Cup's a much better race since it's been internationalised but there, there's a price to it. We don't have the the great stories that you know, Australian people can relate to as much anymore. Um Prince of Penzance in 2015 certainly gave us that, and you know, a good Melbourne Cup story beats any racing story, but the last three years we've had Amanda and Rekindling, uh, and then Cross Counter from Godolphin, so three international horses um, owned by big international owners. Obviously, Boyd Williams is, is, a, is a local, but uh, there's no real backstory. Those horses have never raced here. Uh, they turn up sort of two or three weeks before the race. That, Racing public here just has no real line of sight on them. So you can't turn the clock back, and it'll make it more important when it does happen. There'll still be an Australian trained and Australian or New Zealand, but that will come out and win it. But it'll only happen every four or five years. So... They have paid a certain price as far as what that race means now to the general
1: public. Well, you're obviously shaping the career of an up-and-coming young stayer in Vow and Declare. He's running in the Group 1 Queensland Derby on Saturday. What sort of chance do you give him in that race and and what are you looking at for spring in in terms of his career?
0: He's a
3: promising young horse. He won a stakes race at Flemington over the Carnival in the spring at 1,800 metres. Uh, He's a very genuine stayer, so the 2,400 on Saturday would be a really good chance for him to show his best. I'm sure he'll run really well. But whether or not that form, particularly the way the handicaps are done, would mean that uh, a chance to take on the better stage in the Caulfield Melbourne Cup, well, it just hasn't been the case the last few years.
1: Danny, good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Danny O'Brien, one of Melbourne's leading trainers, talking to us on Hoof on the Till and ABC News Radio. Max let's keep our focus firmly on Queensland uh, right now and of course as well as being Stradbroke Day on Saturday and Derby Day it's also Brisbane Cup Day and one of the most interesting horses in Australia right now not just in that race is a, a very very handsome young grey horse called the Candyman and his trainer is Barry Baldwin he joins us now Barry good to have you on the show.
0: Good morning Alan good morning Max.
1: Now this horse has been in extraordinary form over the past few months and yet it's extraordinary in fact that he's even racing because he had a terrible accident about 18 months ago didn't he?
0: Yes he had what could have been a fatal accident really. Unfortunately he was put in a stable with a bridle on which is a Uh, no-no. People responsible were warned about it a couple of days before. It's an unfortunate accident and I'm willing to put that behind us. But the result was he broke his jaw in seven places and smashed both sides of it. And really speaking, we were thinking seriously about whether we had to be euthanized. Uh, my local vet, Mark McGarry, he said we'd better do something quickly. And uh, we sent him up to uh, Gatton University. All this was done in a matter of hours because it had to be done immediately. He was operated on. The operation took nine hours on the table and the horses were under anesthetic for at least um, 12 hours. So it was a very long, unusual and sort of maybe first time for Gatton University a horse was ever put under uh, uh, anaesthetic so such a long period.
1: And how did they actually pull his jaw back together again, Barry?
0: He had seven plates in his um, jaw, inserted seven steel plates. There was 54 screws originally, then two Plates got infected and they had to be pulled out at a later date. All oh, this was further operations. So, apart from the first big, serious one uh, operation, he had two minor operations. And then when recuperating, you wouldn't believe it, he kicked his hind leg and got a sequestration in his hind leg. So it was a very long, long haul all the way back. And it took him a long time to get to eat feed again. It took him a long time to get a bit. We had to put a rubber bit at first and then, and then all different bits. You know, it was a series of, of months of recuperation. And if it hadn't been for the, the owners, were was, was stuck with me pretty well. It was just thank heaven the horse had showed us that
2: he was more than worthwhile trying to save. Barry, the mouth of a horse is so vital, and yet this horse travels so sweetly. So obviously he's not feeling any discomfort from the operation and the subsequent uh, events that, that could have proved fatal.
0: Hasn't got all his teeth, as you can well, well realise. And so we, we have a, um, a dental person look at him quite regularly. Any uh, cuts in his mouth must be treated and washed and because any infection could easily come again and those plates are going to stay in there until the end of his days. So they could easily be infected. So, you know, it's a lot of care and, and attention. So to this, I've got to give full credit to my staff and Matt Treble, my Foreman. It's just a long process and it's got to keep going and it'll we'll keep going until he finishes racing and even when he spells he'll have to be, you know, have constant care because it was a serious
2: accident. These days, trainers talk about strike rates. I think about Barry Ball when I think about Stradbroke Day. Your strike rate's pretty good there, mate.
0: Yes, mate, I've been, I've been lucky to have some decent horses and I think I'm twilight years now, I suppose, I'm, I'm in the veteran stage now, seventy Sixth birthday, so I uh, this year. So uh, incidentally, there's a bit of trivia. My birthday is on the same day as Winks, uh, 14th of
2: September. Winks and the Candy Man. Let's get to the the Grey Horse. What a, a vision, splendid! The Candy Man in Gunsin's colours. Can you explain to our listeners the Gunsin connection with your grey? Yes.
0: Well, Lucky Pippos is the brother of George Tippos, one of the uh, major shareholders in. Gunsend, there were other people of course but um, he was a publican and then the Windy and it goes back a long way the colours were, were naturally carried on and, or passed on to, uh, to Lucky so uh, Lucky races in those colours so it, it was just coincidence that he happens to be a grey
2: 2,400 metres for the first time in the Brisbane Cup um, how do you think he'll handle it?
0: Well his full brother, a horse called Fraser that races in Sydney he's one up to a mile and a half and this fella got the 2,200 metres pretty well the other day, so I haven't got much doubts about the 2,200 to the
2: 2,400. Barry, we're back at Eagle Farm for the Stradbroke. This is the traditional home. I'm delighted to see it back there. Are you confident Eagle Farm will play well for the Brisbane Cup this year?
0: I'm very confident. It's a lot softer track than it used to be, You know, henceforth all the trouble we had with it. But it's very good surface. I'm not saying every horse handles it, but that's the case in 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 most tracks. But it's a great track, and it, and it gives most horses a chance. And I I think it's just great to be back at Eagle Farm.
1: And Barry, you've certainly got the horse that has the determination not just to survive such a you know a terrible accident, but also to win. I mean, he he loves the winning post, doesn't he? He's just won his last seven races on the trot. And he's a very popular horse. I'm interested, though, where did the name come from, the Candyman? Well,
0: he by Casino Prince out of a mare called Melody. So we got the Candyman from there, really. We at first put in a few names um, all associated with the Rat Pack and the casinos. And um, uh, somewhere along the line, Sammy Davis Jr. was the first name. But that didn't really quite suit the horse. And, And so we went to Frank Sinatra, and that's his nickname, Frank. So um, we went from there and,
2: and uh, henceforth the name, The Candyman. Oh, the pair of you. Haven't you ever heard Sammy Davis sing The Candyman? And course. the Candyman can. The Candyman yeah, well, can. We'll, we'll, we'll have to play a, a dash of that at the end of this interview.
1: I don't think we need to, Barry, do we? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a great song. You weren't the old enough, Helen, but I'm, I'm sure that uh, Maxie is.
1: Barry Baldwin, good to have you on the show. Terrific to hear that story and all the best with... Frankie, aka the Candyman, on Saturday.
0: Thanks very much, Helen. Thanks, Max.
1: And let's hope if he does get that 2400 uh, metre journey, he'll bring him down to Melbourne for the Caulfield Cup.
0: Yes, he'll be uh, he'll be nominated um, uh, for the Melbourne Cup, which is another thing I always dreamed of having the run in the Melbourne Cup, and uh, you never know it, it still might be come to fruition.
1: Barry Baldwin, one of Queensland's leading trainers, talking to us on hoof on the till. Max, certainly this extraordinary injection of prize money into Sydney racing from this spring has captured everyone's attention, not the least of them being one of Australia's leading owners from WA, of course, Bob Peters. He has decided that his outstanding filly, Arcadia Queen, will be coming to Sydney for the Everest, and he joins us now. Bob, good to have you back on the show. Hey,
2: good morning. Bob, what? Uh, enticed you to come to to Sydney, to New South Wales. Mainly, you've taken your horses over the decades to Melbourne.
4: Yes, I've had a few in Sydney over the years, but uh, as you said, we mainly uh, go to Melbourne when
2: we get something that's good enough. The injection of prize money certainly would be a lure. Uh, The lure of the money was the main thing. Arcadia Queen really caught the eye in the major Perth carnivals. Uh, Has she improved with the break?
4: I've never had... A horse improve or grow as much as she has in the, in the time that she's been out. She's just developed into a, you know, a strong, big filly now. She's unbelievable, the, the change in her.
2: So what race would you like to see her set for?
4: Uh, I'd like to get a slot in the Everest and have a runner in that. And then uh, two weeks later, we've got that um, Golden Eagle.
2: Like once upon a time, I would have been thinking about Acadia Queen in the Cox Plate. Well, to my mind anyway, is Australia's greatest race. But uh, obviously the the prize money and uh, Peter Volandis and his move to stimulate the the Sydney Spring has got to you.
4: Yes, it has. I agree with you. I think the Cox Plate is the benchmark for racing in Australia. But uh, we've got a filly here that um, qualifies for two races in um, Sydney that are worth a lot of money
2: enticing star your your other filly or will be a mare she's no slouch either i think she's capable of group one success
4: oh yes yeah, she's um, she's very good i think she's uh in that last race she had she was the day a couple of days after we scoped her and she was just full of mucus and she still ran that second in the group one
1: bob i'm interested in your points about why you're bringing your horses to sydney particularly arcadia queen i'm wondering if that Everest and the Golden Eagle hadn't been there, would you have targeted the Cox Plate? Yes, I would have. And having said that, I wonder where that leaves the Cox Plate now. I mean, for the last 20, 30 years, it's been such a crucial race on the Australian and Australasian racing calendar. And traditionally, like Max, like you have said, it is seen as the best race in this country. Is it in jeopardy? Will it lose that title?
4: No, no, I don't think so. You know, I, I hope I might have something else for the Cox Plate. You know, this, this is just a one-off thing at this time and we'll see what happens.
2: Oh, Bob, I hope you've got something uh, because I fear that the Cox Plate could go the way of the Melbourne Cup and to the internationals. Yeah
4: that's a worry isn't it because you know they're very good when they come over and nowadays it seems that you know people in australia none of us aspire to win a melbourne cup because we just know that it's uh, it's going to be too
1: hard one of australia's leading owners bob peters talking to us from his home in western australia Max, let's refocus and come back to that story that's been making headlines or has made headlines for the last couple of weeks in not just the racing media, but also the mainstream press. And that's, of course, Damien Flower, one of Australia's best known owners, particularly for his role that he's played in buying slots in the Everest. Of course, he was charged on six counts of importing cocaine and his bail was refused and I thought we just update this story with Kate McClymont, who's been covering it she's of course the Walkley award-winning journalist with the Sydney Morning Herald and she joins us now on ABC News Radio Kate good to have you on the show hoof on the till Oh
5: good morning Max and good morning Helen
2: Kate uh, with the allegations made against Damien Flower how does this case rate with the the racing scandals that you've handled and I would say that you've uh, you know you've you've had a an input Uh, From the covering point of view, on quite a few since the jockey tapes.
5: Oh, look, that was one of my favourite ones. And, Max, I was honoured to be the Racing Writer of the Year back in 1994 for covering that story. But, I mean, I, I love stories about racing and the racing industry. It is just so full of... You know, what we like to call colourful um, <laughs> Sydney racing identities, no doubt colourful national racing identities, and I think in that case I was leaked what was called the jockey tapes, which showed that some of our prominent uh jockeys were tipping to um, drug importers, kind of similar to what we've got now, even though with the Damien flower matter at the moment, we must say that it's only alleged at this stage, although you get a fairly good idea of the strength of the Crown case as to whether bail is granted or not, and in this case, um, recently, bail was refused for Damien Flower on the grounds that it did look like um, a pretty strong crown case and as well that it appeared as though uh, Damien Flower was the principal involved in this major cocaine importation racket.
2: And Kate, Damien Flower isn't a minor player in racing.
5: No, um, this is what's interesting to me. You know, when you do a story, you can tell—I don't know whether it ignites the public interest according to how many calls you get—and the phone hasn't stopped ringing over this one. And it seems that it was fairly well known, um, you know, around the tracks that Damien Flower had gone from a, a bankrupt baggage handler, like he was bankrupt um, in
1: 2014,
5: by his dad, by his own dad, and a bookmaker and others so he pays his way out of bankruptcy he buys this very flashy um thoroughbred stables and training facilities platinum park he already had um schnitzel as you would know and i think that he bought that in 2004 for 260,000. and then of course when it was retired in 2006 um, he kept a one share um, in the syndicate, the majority of the 40 shares are owned by prominent breeder John Masara, along with Alan Jones and others, but he still does retain a share in that horse. So everyone seems to know that this, um, you know, this colourful... Likeable chap around the tracks has somehow come into um a very large fortune
2: yes well uh, you graduate to colorful racing personality you've got to earn the title what
5: do you just beige before that
2: well colorful is the is the supreme when you shall we say you're graduating from from the ranks but uh, Kate flower, the fact that he had a uh, a spot in the everest shows you but like get a couple of lazy million hanging around.
0: Well, exactly.
5: And um, it was interesting that Racing New South Wales claimed that they had done their due diligence on Mr. Flower in order for him to purchase one of those slots. Of course, um, he's now forfeited uh, that. I don't know whether he um, gets back the money because I think it was paid for a a three-year investment. But It is interesting as to, you know, what is rumoured about somebody and what is actually proven at the time, because when he was granted that slot, of course, there were no criminal charges against him or nothing pending that could have cast a dark cloud over him. But you sort of wonder, surely there might have been other people that might have been a safer bet to give that slot to.
2: Helen Thomas grimaces every time I go to the underbelly of racing, and of course, Racing has prospered with this aspect and I go back to the uh, the, the, the owners, the accepted owners like Perse Galea and Joe Taylor Perse Galea uh, had a game had a couple of games in Sydney Joe Taylor was the proprietor of Tomo's 2-Up School. They were both prominent owners, both very prominent contributors to racing, so that is there. They were perhaps the early, well certainly Joe Taylor was colourful racing personality.
5: It is interesting that but- one of the most famous photos which revealed how politically corrupt Sydney was was a photo taken at the racetrack of major organised crime figure George Freeman at the races with the chief Stipendry magistrate Murray Farquhar. You know, you can't get any better than that. And, you know, over the years you've seen... Um, you know, interesting people, you know, owning racehorses or trying to hide their ownership of racehorses. For instance, we had, you know, Melbourne criminal Tony Mockbell, you know, had a string of um, racehorses held in other people's names for him. The racetrack always has been a great leveller.
1: And, Kate, coming back to Damien Flower, where does that sit now? He's As you say, his bail was refused late last week. Uh, what happens next?
5: He can appeal to um, have that that the bail conditions are revisited he can appeal to the Supreme Court for that and that may happen down the track but now the matter will probably, you know, roll slowly through the justice system and any trials unlikely to occur before sometime, you know, towards the end of next year, perhaps. But I think one of the interesting things in this case was the fact that not only was Mr. Flower a former baggage handler, but so was um, his uh, alleged accomplice, John Maffiti, who was also big in racing but the crown noted that they were using you know what's called burner phones and that is phones that you've registered in a false name but it was interesting that the code that they were using were the weights of jockeys so they were pretending that they were um, you know talking about you know who was on what horse at what weight and um, the crown said look uh, when you look at the timeline, those jockey weights were actually in correlation to um, the amounts of cocaine that was coming in. So always try and stick with what you know. But anyway, it'll take a while for this to um, wind through the courts. And at the moment, the New South Wales Crime Commission has frozen all of Flower's assets and that includes his horses. It just means that um, if they're in a syndicate, they can keep racing. It's just that if there is any success, that prize money is frozen by the Crime Commission until the matter has been determined.
2: Kate, racing rider of 1994, was it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. You must have been freshly out of kindergarten.
5: Oh max
1: only. Kate McClimate, whatever else we say, you're definitely the investigative reporter with the Sydney Morning Herald. Thank you for joining us on Hoof on the Till. Oh, my pleasure. Ah, oh, Max, those are the days you long for. Colourful racing identities, I don't think that quite captures their essence.
2: Essence is a funny word, but it, it was their contribution to the tour. In those days, racing had character. Character's been bred out of racing. I oh, know you will argue, Helen, and argue correctly, racing had criminals. But the race course was a better place to be. You know, there were punters, there were urges, there were pickpockets, there were corrupt magistrates, wonderful legal men, a great mix, a great mix, and oh, gee, I miss it.
1: Well, you're not going to be too far away from it on Saturday, Max, because I know you're zooming up to Queensland, you'll be there at Eagle Farm, you'll be cheering home the horses in the Stradbroke, and of course, the Candyman, you want to go again in the Brisbane Cup?
2: Why wouldn't you go again? He's a promising horse. No,
1: I was thinking going again with the song. I was Another going verse. to get
2: there. Just let, let me let me move into it. And the Candyman can, the Candyman can. I'll leave it at that. The Candyman because
0: can, he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Makes the world taste good. Yes, the Candyman can, because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Makes the world taste good. A candy A candy man! A candy man! A candy man! A candy man!